Okay, we have one case this morning. It's number 19-126, Inway Google. Mr. Schmidt. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. Google's petition for mandamus presents the question whether a computer sitting on a shelf in a third party's facility in the Eastern District of Texas is a regular and established place of business for purposes of patent venue. We submit that the answer- Can we talk for a moment about whether a regular and established place of business requires a person to be there? Because in 1897, of course, the, the uh, service of process statute was also enacted, and that appears to assume that there'd be an employee or agent at the place of business. So perhaps it was contemplated that for purposes of the venue statute, that would be the case. Uh, so where does that lead us? I mean, does that mean that you can't have a robotic equivalent of a person, uh, the ATM machine, for example, or the virtual grocery store? Um, yes, they wouldn't qualify as a person for service of process because the whole notice purpose of service of process couldn't be performed by service on a machine. But what about for venue purposes? Is the robotic equivalent of an of a person within the venue statute or not? Our, our position is that a purely robotic equivalent would not be sufficient. And otherwise, you have to look at the text of an the statute. An ATM machine would not be sufficient. Well, an ATM machine is a slightly different circumstance because there you would potentially have employees or agents present servicing the machine. And we think that's a crucial difference. So what you need is a regular and established place. You need a regular uh, presence from an employee, which is to say regular, recurring, steady, as this court said in Prey. Not, not necessarily an employee. It doesn't necessarily have to be an employee. The language is agent. So it doesn't have to be directly employed by the defendant, but there does have to be somebody regularly there. In other words, you could imagine an, a non-robotic situation like, say, a laundromat, which is a self-service uh, kind of a store where there are not employees present who are carrying out the business of cleaning one's laundry. It's a self-service facility. But there will be employees there who are running the, who are running the store, who are servicing the machines and doing or, things or like agents that. agents is your problem because I mean, here they're, uh, the host on, on behalf of Google is servicing the machines. So why wouldn't that fit within your definition? Uh, so, Your Honor, uh, first of all, um, there's never been a claim in this case made that, um, that the employees of the ISB are Google's agents. So we think that is pretty clearly waived in this case. Um, uh, but moving on from that, if you look at the sudden link agreement itself. So right, the agreement the, is not dispositive as to agency. We've said that in the PG&E case. The restatement says that. That's so put true. that aside. Okay, so, so the label's not dispositive, but it does disclaim an agency relationship. And if you look at schedule. The, I, the ISP is basically right um, answering the door of those customers who would like to get the content that Google has stashed for perfectly good business reasons on this server, taking the request to the server through equipment that it is required by the agreement to maintain, and then um, sending the request, the, the, the receipt, the uh, requested information to the customer. Why is that not acting as an agent for Google's business of supplying content from that server at that space, I guess is the word the agreement uses, not just equipment, but space? 
So, so the, the question we think is whether the people who are there carrying out the ISP's business count as Google's agent, not whether the computers in some sense count as an agent, because after all, a computer is just a machine and we don't think that qualifies as a place of business under the statute. So Supposing the question it is, was an entire server farm. Excuse me? Supposing it was an entire server farm. Would that change your position? Yes, absolutely. For an entire server farm, then we would own uh, potentially the real property underlying that farm. There would be employees there servicing the machines. That would be a very different circumstance. Okay, let me take you into the future. Supposing that server farm was incorporeal. That is, that all the computations that are done are done with light, uh, without machinery, and yet it functions as a server farm. Does that change your position? No, Your Honor. Our position is still that you need. Our position is that you need an employee present, right? So, to the extent a server farm were a hundred percent automated, we are way in the future. This were mm -hmm. pure robotics. There would not be an employee. And it's served agent. by pure robotics. Served by pure robotics. You have to apply the language of the statute, and this court has said that again and again. As enacted in 1897, the statute said, to the extent venue is grounded on a regular and established place of business, you can serve the agent conducting such business. And we think that's. The text and it requires an employee or agent present. Uh, the fact the that employee or agent is present, that there's a physical place of business, but all that the employees do is service equipment. Uh, is that is that sufficient? Is that a regular established place of business? You might get into some nice questions about what regularly carrying out the employees. We are getting into is. nice questions, but. As, uh, our position is that as long as that employee is regularly there carrying out some piece of the business, that is enough. And some piece of the Servicing business... equipment is enough. Yes. It could be in some circumstances. Servi servicing the equipment is enough. Just like in the laundromat, you would have a place of business, even though those employees are not carrying out the business in the sense of doing the laundry, but servicing the machine. So that's enough. Uh, to get back to Judge Toronto's question about why these human agents at the ISP facilities are not agents as contemplated by the statute... Again, I think looking to the, to the details of the agreement is helpful. Um, obviously, again, we think this is waived. Nobody's ever claimed that they're agents. The court can leave this question of what kind of agency relationship suffices for another day. Or, which, or if we thought it was relevant, we could deny mandamus with instructions upon, to further consider the venue question in light of exploration of facts not fully explored. That's a, one conceivable basis. Would be, yes, one conceivable disposition would be to say, this is the legal framework. You need real property present and you need agents. Now, we think the real property point is dispositive. It's on, on its own. So we don't think a remand is necessary. There is real property. It's, I mean, there's a building. Well, there's re the ISP is real property, but it's not Google's real property. So what? Because, well, well uh, the, the three Cray factors are you need a, a physical place of business. It needs to be regular and established. And the last one, it needs to be of the defendant. Obviously, so they lease part of the building, right? I don't think that's a fair characterization. Uh, well, characterization. I suppose it is a fair characterization. Where does that leave you? We, I mean, so, if, you, if, if, you, if they leased a room to have the servers, uh, that, that would be sufficient? Yes. A, that's a room, your server farm. A, a room in a building is sufficient. So if we focus on the text of the statute, the text is a place of business. In Cray, this court said a place of business is a building or a part of a building set aside for a purpose, or quarters out of which business is conducted. Well, let me take you the other way, which I'm going to ask your, your friend on the other side. And that is, in, instead of that one box, or, or you have that one box, but instead of Google using it, three small uh, companies are sharing it. Or, and they don't even know they're sharing it. Where does that put us? 
I think that's exactly the point, Your Honor. Then we wouldn't know whose place of business that is, and we think it would be absurd to claim that three companies are operating a place of business out of a single box. And honestly, this case is not that far from there. If you look at the photographs of the rooms with the servers, there are hundreds upon hundreds of servers and shelf after shelf after shelf. And if respondent's theory is correct, presumably each one of those servers could conceivably be a place of business. And you have hundreds of places of business operating out of that single room. Can I explore this lease question a little bit? So I guess I was thinking of like a farmer's market or a flea market. And let's say it's not just every Sunday, it's every other day. Make it every day. I I don't think it matters. Um, And, you know, the, the stamp seller or the bagel seller Um, has an agreement with whoever is hosting it that I'm going to get this stall. Maybe even it's not a, you know, binding contract, but year in and year out, the bagel seller, the stamp seller is at that place. Um, No lease. Is that not still a regular and established place of business? We think that would probably fit within the language of Cray. And the reason for that is it's ultimately a kind of real property. It's an area of land. In other words, it's a reserve space where people can stand and carry out the business of the defendant. In other words, one, one, one piece of, um, of the relevance of the service statute is that we think it requires agents present. Another piece of it is that it shows that the type of place that Congress so had in mind. Had, if, the, if there was a specific shelf that they contracted to have their servers on in a particular room, that would be sufficient. And the problem here is that there's no specificity about where the server is? No, we we would disagree with that, Your Honor. We don't think a shelf is a part of a building in the sense that this court used that phrase in Cray. We think- Shelf is different from a table at a flea market? Yes, because a table at a flea market, again, it's going to be generally speaking an area around which people can congregate and interact with customers. A shelf is just a shelf holding a piece of equipment. And we think when the court used the phrase building or part of a building, it essentially meant something that functions like a room. You want to distinguish between fixtures and non-fixtures? We don't want to get into the, the, the minutia of state real property law. We use the phrase real property in its, in its somewhat colloquial sense, which is to say it needs to be a building or a part of a building set aside. So we don't think a light switch or a fixture, as Your Honor said, would technically qualify as a place of business, even though it's within a building. We think in this instance, you have to be... Um, you have to, to, to borrow Justice Scalia's words in, in the Radlack's opinion for the court, we shouldn't be hyper-literal and antithetical to common sense. We've got to bring right, some but, common but, sense but, to bear but why, but why isn't it common sense? There's this Google stores a massive amount of wares that consumers want at a particular spot um, regularly um, and people get it from that spot. The fact that it is extremely small and doesn't require you know, a physical hand attached to a body with physical feet standing near it to get it, why should that matter? Uh, because we think the language is clear, a regular and established place of business. I mean, it may be that this equipment, we don't think on the facts of this case it is, as is exemplified by the fact that these machines have taken off, been taken offline. The fact that this might be important to delivering content to customers is not going to be dispositive because it's just equipment that carries it out. It's not that place of business. So a cell tower to a cell company is very... But that's not quite true. I mean, the the equipment doesn't do anything unless the ISP is connecting the various wires. And I think, I don't know, Section 7 or 4 or something of the agreement specifically requires some... The crucial things that the ISP has to do is to... Um, supply connections both up to Google so that Google can keep 
storing stuff on it and connections um, to anybody basically on the internet who wants who wants to get it. That's right, Your Honor. The ISP has to plug it in, but we don't think that changes it from fundamentally being a piece of equipment to being a place of business. It's still just a piece of equipment, like a cable box sitting in your home. After all, a, a, a user in one's home has to plug a cable box into the wall for it to operate, but the cable company owns the cable box. And just by virtue of that little activity, it doesn't convert a cable box in someone's home into a place of business. So you still have this requirement of a regular and established place What are the implications business. for the government's various trade positions relating to non-physical uh, trade property, that is intellectual property, insurance, and so on, where there's no, there's no physical export of goods from the United States, and yet it's considered highly important. So we're just asking the court to interpret this phrase, regular and established place of business, in the context of this very particular law, which, as the Supreme Court has said, was passed for a specific purpose to, as a restrictive measure, to narrow or limit uh, patent venue, and in the context in juxtaposition with the service statute. So we don't think the unique statutory context of this law will necessarily have big ramifications for, for other, other circumstances. So we don't think the court uh, should be concerned about that. Um, but getting back to this, this shelf point, uh, Your Honor, I think there are, two, there are two fundamental points. The first is that a shelf is not a building. A shelf is not a regular and established place of business uh, in the way that that phrase was used in Cray. And we can see that both from the phrase place of business and the way that Cray defined that phrase we can see it when we broaden the lens and look at the phrase regular and established place of business. The word established suggests, again, real property, something more than just a fixture in a building. Yeah, but that doesn't seem to me to be a very satisfactory way of analyzing it. And to, to a large extent, it's what uh, they meant in 1897 about what, what constitutes conducting a business. And it looks as though dealing with customers would be conducting a business. It looks as though they contemplated that having a manufacturing facility would be conducting a business. What else uh, might be conducting a business uh, isn't so clear. And the dictionary definitions of the time don't really provide much help. I mean, do you think, for example, in 1897, they contemplated if a railroad track ran through a state and there were no stations or no physical offices and that the only workers of the railroad who uh, appeared in the state were doing track maintenance, would that be uh, having an established place of business in, in, in the contemplation of the 1897 statute? Absolutely not, Your Honor. I mean, we would, we would say that a, a railroad track running through a state is just the railroad's equipment. It's what allows the railroad to operate, but it's not a place of business as that phrase was understood. That's what, they're not dealing with customers? They're not selling things to customers within the state? It's a number of factors. So it's, you're not going to have, you're not going to have regularly folks there uh, servicing the, the, the equipment. So that's... Does the railroad have a real property interest? It would, probably. It'll have an easement or something like that. So that just goes to show you that having real property is not a sufficient condition. We think it's a necessary condition, though. Um, but we think you have to look at, is this a regular and established place of business? Is this a building or a structure from which business is carried out? And we yeah, don't but think... But what does business mean? That's what I'm asking you about. The, the, the place can be satisfied by leasing real property, but what kind of business has to be conducted using that real property to come within the statute? 
Uh, so, Your Honor, as, as you pointed out, obviously interacting with customers is going to be business. Carrying out an analog business is going to be business. And we don't think that digital business is necessarily excluded from the statute. What we do think is excluded is digital business on its own. In other words, digital business per se. And that's just because no, I'm not of sure Cray. what that means. So, so yeah. Cray said you cannot just have a virtual space. That's all we mean by that. A computer, to the extent I wasn't were, even sure quite what what that means. I mean, of, of course, virtual space is not physical space. There is a physical space at um, the Cable One facility and the Suddenlink facility. Some business is being conducted from that space called the space in the agreements. Um, why isn't it Google's? So, Your Honor, we think it's 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 virtual space. So, so let me analogize. No, it's this real to... space. You can walk on it. So it's real space in the sense that you have equipment there, but to the extent business is being carried on, it's occurring in cyberspace. It's virtual. Let me try and let me try and make I, I, this a little that's clearer. Just, just, that's just, I mean, I, I don't understand those words. Yeah. There is physical space with a physical piece of equipment on it. Business is being conducted out of the machine at that physical space, and it's there in order to save various costs and time. Mm -hmm. Time on the customer's end, costs on the transmission end, so that the, the, the uh, you know, the... Uh, was it gameplay or the, the the videos that Google says are very popular will get to customers without you know uh, four hundred thousand uh, transmissions with transmission costs? There's there's a physical space where somebody's conducting business, maybe both the ISP and Google, but the relationship between the content supplier Google and the customers sounds like Google's business, so which, which then would lead me to the question: Why isn't ISP an agent conducting? Right. So, so we think the physical space is just the space occupied by the equipment. And we don't think that turns it into a place of business. So, so again, come back to the cable box example. If you have a cable box in your home that is occupying physical space, it is conducting business in the sense that the cable company is using it to get television into your home. But we don't think every cable box in the United States can be a place of business. And on this point of virtual space versus but what if the cable box was was essentially um, open to the entire neighborhood making requests to get movies and 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 other things? Then it seems to me it would be a a place of business for I mean whoever is you know responding to the request for the content. I don't think that's necessarily true, Your Honor. And I think that example that you just laid out is very similar to the cell tower example. And the cell tower well, the example. Problem, the, the problem with the cell tower example is, it, and I, I, I do think that this is a hard distinction to make, but I guess um, that the, the essential storage incident to transmission, which may be a phrase that you recognize from the, um, the Communication Storage Act, is distinguished from remote storage services under the Act. It may not be the most precise distinction in the world. I gather there's litigation mm -hmm. about um, things being on one side or the other, but it's a kind of common sense distinction, which would put aside um, the whole class of cases about essentially pure transmission facilities, even if the facilities have um, hops in them that have truly temporary storage so that for the usual purposes. Um, yeah. But this isn't that, right? This is a, a warehouse with large capacity, but in a small space because you don't need a lot of space for large capacity. So we, we don't think this distinction is, is material for the reason that it just goes to the functioning of the equipment, not whether the equipment is a place of business. Now, you've analogized servers to a warehouse, and there's a certain intuitive appeal to that analogy, but that's just to say that servers function like traditional places of business, not that they are traditional places of 
business. So if I could return to this virtual point. How much, how much, how much of your point, um, you know, your refrain kind of depends on the premise that the place, the only possible place here is the equipment as opposed to the place where the equipment sits. We would concede that it would be a very different case if the equipment sat, again, in a data center, if it were a large facility. It sits only. somewhere. That's a place, right? Right. Just, just by virtue of the fact that it occupies physical space and has to sit somewhere, can't convert equipment into a place of business or every, all, all of a sudden any piece of equipment could potentially Well, it depends qualify. what's being done with the equipment at that place. If it's being, if it's being used to store the wares that the owner of the equipment will supply from that location to those who ask for it, why is that not, why is the, the place that the equipment sits not a place of business? And, and following Ohm's law or Moore's law, uh, when, when in the not too distant future, the entire server farm is in that one small box, does that change your, your response to the hypo? Uh, so taking those in, in reverse, that wouldn't change our response to the hypo for the reason that this court gave in big commerce, which is that this court has been presented over and over again with the argument that modern business realities have changed and that the statute should therefore be interpreted, quote, flexibly. But it, again and again, it is said you have to adhere to the language of the statute. This is a quote from big commerce. We cannot ignore the requirements of the statute merely because different requirements may be more suitable to a more modern business environment. So we think the fact that technology may develop in such a way that equipment grows more and more sophisticated and more and more powerful does not change the fact that fundamentally it is still equipment and not a place of business. Now, getting back to this point about whether equipment uh, can function as a place of business. No, no, whether the place on which the equipment sits can function as a place of business. Right. So, so there are two responses to that. The first is, is on the level of law, which is that we don't think a we don't think a shelf on which a piece of equipment is sitting qualifies as a place within the meaning of Cray. And that's just a common sense point and a plain language point that an established place of business requires an establishment, requires a building, requires an area set aside. And we don't think a shelf counts. And if a shelf did Even count, though the shelf is set aside once selected by Suddenlink or Cable One and Google can say, do not move this unless we give you permission. So, Your Honor, we, we don't quite agree with that on the facts. The, the ISP receives... Um, receives a computer in the mail, and its only obligation is to hang it on a shelf somewhere yeah. and notify Google where that happens. Other obligation. I mean, it needs to and then, and then the, plug it in. So, so the other obligation that, that Your Honor is referring to is that the host uh, has, to notify the, the, um, has to notify Google to the extent it wants to move the equipment. This is on page two of the Suddenlink agreement. And get Google's permission. Two. And Google has to reasonably consider that request. So the only limitation on the equipment is that if the host wants to move it, there's no reason they can't. If you want to move it, just tell Google and they're you have also to give them 30 days notice. Right? Uh, they're doing routine service and maintenance of the equipment because it's sitting there in their, in their ISP. And often that is just a matter of plugging it in and turning it on. Um, and on this point about whether the shelves are Google's place of business, again, I think, I think looking at the language of the service agreement is very helpful. We think as a, as a legal matter, a shelf can't count. But if you look at the language of the service agreement, the equipment is, and this is in paragraph one of the agreement, hosted in the host's facilities. So it's very clear that this is the ISP's facilities, not Google. Paragraph eight on page two of the service agreement says the host is, quote, responsible for physical access to the equipment. Um, and Google's only granted access 
if the agreement is terminated. And just what, to give what, you... what about the opening sentence of Schedule A? The host will provide the following facilities to Google for occupancy and use. Google's so, occupying that facility. So, so we think you have to look at the language of what's actually conveyed in the agreement. And all that it is is that the, the ISPs will put these servers on Rackspace. And we don't think that in, in, any meaningfully, in any meaningful sense converts the place of business into Google's. And if you want a, a sort of colorful illustration of this, in the, in the seven case, you'll notice there are photographs of these ISP facilities and the, and the server rooms in the record. Those were obtained not because Google walked into its own place of business and took photographs. It's because seven served a third-party subpoena on these ISPs to gain access to their facilities. Google couldn't get in. It doesn't have physical access. So we don't I, thought, I thought there was something in the agreement that at least indirectly makes clear that Google does have have access. I guess it's sort of the, the negative pregnant of, of section four of schedule A that says if there are other um, Google-like storers um, using it, that um, that uh, the host has to ensure that the space provided to Google um, uh, that access to that space is permitted only to authorized personnel of the host and authorized personnel of Google. And we may not have the keys, but it sounds like Google doesn't have the keys. I think, Your Honor, I think the best way to understand that provision is Google is just protecting its equipment. Again, Google has equipment in these facilities, and it doesn't want folks accessing pieces of its network without knowing who it is. But that's very different than granting Google physical access to the space. And again, if you go through the agreement, we don't think that access is 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 given. And again, th there's one point in the agreement where physical access is granted, and that's in paragraph six on page two of the service agreement. And Google's only granted access there if the agreement is terminated and Google needs to recover its equipment. Can I just double check? You are not this time making the argument that the um, infringement has to be connected to the regular established place of business. That's correct. That's a separate issue that's not presented here. Okay. All right. Thank you, Mr. Schmidt. We'll give you a couple of minutes for rebuttal. Mr. Bragalon. please the court. The cash server in isolation. Let's assume that the shelf here is a place. Okay, there's a kind of physical place that you need. And let's assume that based on a reading of the service statute, that there is a contemplation that business has to be conducted by persons or agents, employees or agents. Is the maintenance of equipment conducting business within the meaning of the statute. That seems to me not at all clear that that's what's contemplated by conducting business. Yes, if they were, if the employees or agents were selling something or manufacturing something, that would be covered. But is it really contemplated that meaning really maintaining physical property within the jurisdiction is sufficient to, for conducting business? Well, 
first of all, the assumption that you would have to have people in the first place in order to have a place. Of course, the statute refers to place of business, a reasonable establishment. But I'm just asking you to, for, for, so, for purposes of this discussion, assume that I read the service statute as contemplating that there would be individuals conducting business, people conducting business within the jurisdiction. That may or may not be correct, but let's just assume that for a moment. Then are they conducting business when they merely service equipment? Uh, I think that depends on the facts of the case, perhaps. But I, I also think that the mere service of equipment, and because of that relationship there, that reveals that there really should be no requirement that says that you have to have support personnel. Google actually uses the word support personnel. And I want to be clear, under this agreement, we disagree with the access that Google has to this place. For example, the agreement reverse, refers to avoiding... Yeah, you, you, you're, you're getting away from my hypothetical. There'll be time to explore these other things. But under my hypothetical and my assumptions is the fact that agents, individual people, acting as agent service equipment, does, is that conducting business? I, I would say that to the extent that the court imposes a requirement that there be persons there, that ties from the idea that you would have to have somebody there to accept service of process, perhaps. That, that what they're actually doing there, whether they're servicing the equipment, if the equipment is actually doing the business of the defendant, and you add a requirement that there be a person there. But are the individuals who yes. are maintaining, who are maintaining the equipment, are they <coughs> conducting business? So yes, no? I would say yes. What they, they may not that? be themselves conducting business, but they're enabling the business that is conducted. So you're in order for a machine to conduct that business, as was noted by my my friend, you would have to have personnel available to enable that to happen. I don't remember Mr. Schmidt's um, uh, what he said uh, on the bottom line for the uh, the laundromat situation, uh, whether that was in or out. But is that kind of what we're talking about here? That somebody, and presumably, um, they're not exchanging money. So there's the, the, the coin ops or, you know, just by machine, but they're there to, to fix jams or something. Perhaps, yes. So to the extent that you were to add a requirement that there be staffing, we think that would suffice, and that would meet that requirement. But we don't have any case staffing development to do what? on that. In the, the laundromat, providing change, providing uh, time on the machine? Yeah, maybe. But I'm, the hypothetical is all they're doing, all the employees, the individuals, or the agents are doing, is servicing equipment. Well, if the equipment is actually conducting the business, then servicing becomes pretty important. If, if the equipment is actually conducting all the business, as Google's does in this case, then keeping that equipment going is a very important so, part so of that your, business. Your position is that having that server running in the Eastern District of, of Texas is doing business in the Eastern District. Yeah, yes, yes. With it, even so, though there are no people involved at all? Well, there certainly are people. No, no, no. The, you got to gotta assume the question, what, what, the premise of the question. Assuming there are no people there doing anything, it's still sufficient in your view. I, I understand, and thank you for the clarification. Yes, we so, would say that is doing business. So that server is doing business in the Eastern District by providing 
fast access to the, the I, I take this from the facts, the most requested uh, data. Yes. Okay. Supposing uh, the, the Texas power grid surges and, uh, and that box burns out. Okay. But Google, through its computer system, continues to provide the service. Not as fast, but everybody in Texas still gets their whatever is popular video or data or whatever. Is it doing business in the Eastern District of Texas or not? Uh, I would say so because the test looks at whether you have a place that is a regular and established place of business, but that doesn't mean that that place has to continually conduct the business. So in the example of a service outage, you might have a period of time where that place is not servicing the local customers, but you still have a place that's a regular and established place of business. You look at the so they've turned off those those forward servers in the Eastern District of Texas. Are they no longer doing business in the Eastern uh, District of Texas? I think that's correct. I, I believe that is correct. But if there's no servers there and they're not continuing, it's not a temporary outage. I would say absolutely. So, so what is it your position that Google does in the Eastern District? So uh, Google. Uh, locates its servers there. And first of all, um, there is a space. No, its servers are there. What does it do? What business is it doing? So Google personnel access the server. In fact, they do it on a weekly basis at least and electronically interact with that server. They image the server. In the agreement, there's an allowance for Google to dispatch field service personnel. And it refers to, I'm actually on page six of seven of the Suddenlink agreement to allow Google to dispatch field service personnel. So right, the agreement says it could. I gather yes. the only record evidence we have is the affidavit of, was it McCallion or something that says, we, in fact, we haven't. Or yes, you are. Maybe slightly more precisely, I think he said he was not aware that we ever had. That's correct. And so that's what they, their business is. So their business... They have they have the p potential to dis dispatch service personnel to a box. That's their business in the Eastern District of no, Texas. Your Honor. I, I agree with you. The, the place of business and the business that's being conducted is the service of ads and video data from that location. And it's actually cached there. So it's stored there. And it's take, stored there purposefully. Take my hypothetical that I asked your friend. Supposing instead of Google, it's some little computer companies that are offering a small amount of data, and the and the the data the service provider says, "I'm going to put five of these on one box." Does that change things? It certainly could, yes, because if you're analyzing it under all three of the cray factors, here Google reserved it, the entire server; it owned the server. And as this court said in ZTE, ownership of the equipment can be an important factor in determining whether a place is a regular and established place of business. So in, in that case, we, I'd want to know who owns the equipment. Then have they held themselves out? Is it being their location? In this case, Google said, these are Google locations. These edge nodes are our location. Additionally- I mean, and, and just just to make clear, it's it says that basically to the ISPs, the customers don't do, I mean, I guess it's on their websites. Yes, it's a publicly accessible website. But is that part of any kind of, uh, I don't know if this is even the right terminology, 
advertising that Google does to customers? I believe so. They're actually telling customers, we are bringing the data to you. And they're touting that as a benefit. Use us because we're faster because it's close. Absolutely. We're bringing that data to you. And also, they provide a map. It's an interactive map. And you can actually look on the map and see by dots where those edge servers are located. So they're identifying those as their regular and established places of business. So I do believe that, yes, in, in that you would have to look at, did the individual companies say, that's our regular and established place of business? I think that's why the cable box analogy doesn't work. There's no cable company out there in the United States that's saying that at the homes of each one of its subscribers... That You're those running are, down the VoIP cases, is, is, is the line of... Yes, yes. They're not, they're not saying... Those are our regular and established places of business and representing that to the public, that, that, would, that would be ridiculous. In contrast, though, it, it's absolutely the case that machines can and do conduct business. Under the America Invents Act, uh, Section 18C of that act, Congress said for purposes of this statute, 1400B, that ATMs could not be a regular and established place of business, but... Only no, if that's actually not what that's right. Saying. Only if a CBM yeah. is, is asserted. Exactly. So I think the implication there is that if you're not asserting a covered business method patent, then that can qualify. Well that may that might just be a kind of belt and suspenders thing where these these sorts of you know unmanned, largely unmanned places are uncertain for for certain purposes and therefore, you know. The statute is basically for a particular industry, and therefore we're going to just make absolutely sure. So I'm not sure that how much implication you get out of well, that. Well, I would characterize it as a carve-out, because what they're, they're not saying categorically that a machine cannot constitute a regular and established place of business. To the contrary, they're saying it can, but we're going to say that if you're asserting a covered business method patent, that we're going to exempt that. So Congress yeah, carved that out. I think a hard time under the cases getting that much from it. I mean, it, it looks as though Congress was just responding to the banking community's concern that this might happen and doesn't necessarily reflect the judgment by Congress that it would have been within the statute if they hadn't created the exemption. I, I agree with that, Your Honor. But certainly if it was crystal clear that a machine could never constitute a regular yeah, but, established I mean, the, the, place the, the, of business. The problem, as you know, is that there isn't much that's crystal clear here because we had um, a multi-decade period where this question didn't arise and the, the world outside has changed a lot. So what do you do? I, this is not going to be a very precise question. There, you know, Overhanging this is um, a quite legitimate concern that um, it is not part of our task to adjust a perhaps outmoded notion from the 1897 statute to changes in the real world. And if there are going to be adjustments, that's for Congress. Why isn't your position um, one that effectively requires that kind of adjustment? So I I would actually argue it's the opposite. We're trying to say true to the statute. Uh, My friend, Google's counsel, has said that you should impose uh, an additional requirement that virtual business or uh, electronic business cannot be business. 
That's nowhere in the statute. The statute does not turn on the type of business that's conducted. It's flexible, and it has endured. I, I gave your friend a quantum uh, sort of incorporeal uh, hypo. So let me give you the opposite. Supposing that there's a, a nano-based uh, device which uh, can consist of a, of a swarm of an in, uncountable number of nano-devices, right? all of which communicate and work together as swarm intelligence, covering the entire globe. Right? Where are they? That that's certainly a difficult question to analyze under the under the Cray test. First, I would look to the physical place. Is there a physical place everywhere? So it well, they're like the Scarlet Pimpernel. So there would have to be something that ties it to a physical place. I I, I think, and without knowing that, I couldn't tell you whether or not that there is a place that's a regular and established place of business. But let's assume the place was in fact in the Eastern District of Texas, and there was equipment there that enabled this nano cloud uh, to occur, then you would want to see other factors. Okay, did, did uh, Google say, this is our nano cloud, and we've located our equipment in the Eastern District of Texas? Did they publicly disclose that? Uh, so I think you'd want to know other factors, but you could make that determination. It seems like that would not be a place, especially something that's in the air, it's ethereal. It's hard to characterize that as a physical location by its definition. What, what but, about transmission lines? Suppose electric transmission lines, telegraph lines in the old days, telephone lines. Would, would, would those be a place of business? I think you'd have to know more to analyze it under the no, Cray factors. Gave, but I want to note that in Cray, no, it well, said mere... The, wait, wait, wait. What's the answer? Just That's all you've got. Is That's that you've got transmission have. lines within the state, is that sufficient? I, I, it's hard to see that that's sufficient, but what's the physical place? So what's the difference between that and this? Oh, The physical place is the structures on which the transmission lines are running. So the difference between your hypothetical and this is that Google specifically located a space. That, that space has to be actually reported back to Google. Wait, I don't understand that distinction. I don't, the telephone company put the wires in a deliberate place, presumably to get a short distance or lowest installation and maintenance costs as possible. That's, those, those places are you know, not God-given. So if it's just merely communications transmission, Cray says that's not enough. Uh, you would have even to have that, Even though it's done with physical structure. It's leased. Okay, so what's the difference between that situation and this one? So if you have, you'd have to have the physical structure and then you would have to have the company. No, no, but uh, what? Well, the difference, you asked me the difference is yeah. between that case and this case. So here. Why, why is this, in your view, uh, a regular established place of business and the transmission lines are not? So. First of all, we have a space that Google has reserved to itself. I don't it's, understand the difference. And under under my hypothetical, the AT and T lines are are the electric lines are built on structures. They're 
enormously expensive leases to allow them to, to put the transmission lines in. That's not a distinction. Well, is it transmitting only AT&T's data? Is it reserved? Yes, yes, yes. It's only the, the long distance line or the electric lines. Correct. We've agreed that those are not regular and established places of business. And so I'm asking what's the difference between that and this situation? So I, I would say that if that situation has all the characteristics that we have identified as being important and critical to this situation, a physical place that is set aside for AT&T and AT&T's use, and if AT&T's regular... So trans, you're changing your answer. Transmission I, lines are a regular and established place of business? Respectfully, I don't think a hypothetical that just says transmission lines gives us enough information to All analyze right. it under the Cray test. AT&T fails to uh, repair one of its telephone poles, and uh, it falls down and boinks somebody, and they file a tort action. And by the way, uh, Google fails to... Uh, on its last inspection, tightly secure uh, its server box, and it falls down and and boinks one of the uh, of the repair people. What's the difference? I, I'm not sure I, I see a difference there. Um, in in each case, if that's that party's equipment, and they've established control over that equipment, and that equipment and you lies for the purposes of the tort action, different statute, of course. But. Of course. But, but assuming if we're talking about the exercise of control and what the ramifications are from that exercise of control, I, I think at a very high level, it's not materially different between... Well, let's assume that we, we think that having transmission lines and uh, that are physically located and based on lease structures within the state does not constitute uh, having a regular and established place of business. Let's just assume that. Is this situation different from that? And if so, how? Uh, I would say yes. And the how is that they they have physical property there. We're just not talking about a conduit. Uh, well, we, in my hypothetical, there's physical property. They're storing data there. It's a data warehouse. They're actually storing large volumes of information locally. They what you're, their, you're really saying is conducting business is doing things but not not transmitting things. I, I think that's correct. And that, that distinction has actually been made in server cases uh, by some district courts. Well, that's the VoIP cases as well. Yes. Well, and, and Cup said, look, if you're just transmitting data to the cloud and you don't identify that as your server space, you don't own the equipment, and it's merely a conduit between users and the cloud, they said that's not a regular and established place of business. And so I think there, there are differences there. And that's why it's dangerous for this court to establish a one-size-fits-all rule. For the same reason that in Renslayer you have lockers and the court you finds... You agree that providing some clarity in this area would be useful to everybody? Uh, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it's inappropriate for this court to reach out in a mandamus situation. And to say that there's been a usurpation of judicial power, in part because, as this court soundly did when it looked at this case just a little over a year ago, it said, we're going to wait and see if it percolates. Is this an issue of national importance? I would say absolutely not. It, this has affected primarily Google and primarily only in the Eastern District of Texas. Can, can, it, can I ask a, a procedural question? Um, 
is the issue of venue in this case in the district court decided once and for all on this motion to dismiss or can it be reconsidered well assuming we don't assuming we we were to deny mandamus just as a procedural matter is this issue over and done or because it was a motion to dismiss you know usually with motions so usually with motions to dismiss right to deny them doesn't end the issue there can be summary judgment there can be a trial but is this one of these motions to dismiss in which essentially this was the opportunity to present facts the fact findings have been made an answer has been given we are not doing venue anymore I think with a qualification that you always bring a 12c type motion and you can ask for judgment on that basis that venue is improper this can be taken up later just as it can be assessed by this court following judgment so other because one possibly relevant aspect of the issue that I just raised is whether you have waived an argument that Sunlink and Cable One are agents of Google by perhaps not having asserted that on the motion to dismiss if the issue on venue was still open in the district court that could as a procedural matter be an available assertion yes so first of all may I say I think the waiver issue is is inappropriate here because for that to be one of the check boxes that we have to check off there has to be some rule of law that says that you have to show proof people there you actually have to show agents so absent that for us to actually meet the requirement that is yet to be articulated as such in the law I would say you can't we can't have waived that but there is sufficient evidence in the record that from which the district court found that Google is directing the personnel of the ISP they have to have step-by-step directions before they touch any of Google servers before they tighten the screw so I don't believe that issue is waived I also think that for most purposes it is now concluded subject to for example a rule 12 C type motion so I don't think it's necessarily the last word but I do think that we've had the the venue determination I will say there was no hearing actually in this instant case instead the court relied upon what the court had previously done in the seven networks case so there was not an entirely new hearing there was not any discovery in this case instead we relied upon what had done before for judicial efficiency but I I do think that it would be to answer the court's procedural question should this court now impose new requirements or new clarifications to the venue statute I do think it would be appropriate to remand the case back to the district court to allow the district court just as this court did in ZTE to assess those and to consider those in light of its venue determination because it could in its discretion transfer the case or it could dismiss or it could also find that okay I'm going to consider that and I'm going to find that venue is still appropriate and that there is a regular and established place of business okay thank you mr. Raglan thank you mr. Schmidt you have a couple minutes here 
Thank you, Your Honor. I think the colloquy that you had on transmission lines, per, transmission lines perfectly exemplifies the problem with the decision below, which is that once you open this door and say equipment can potentially be a regular and established place of business, just about anything can that's used by a business to carry out its business. So this is not just a Google problem. I want to emphasize this. You have the I asked your friend a question because I wanted to make him do it first. But I want to ask you this. What does Google do in the Eastern District? Do? I don't think do Google actively does anything. In other words, there's no evidence of any um, employee or agent of Google in the declaration that Your Honor was talking about being present in the di in the district. Now, there are other employees. I'm sorry. Money. I'm sorry. The you declaration is restricted to employees. It doesn't say anything about agents. That's true. I'm, uh, you, you're exactly right about that. Google's had no employee go down there. We think that any agency relationship argument has been waived. But you make money there. Yes. Google's Google makes money through the trend. Yes, through its. So what do you do in the Eastern District? I, I think Google. I, I mean, I think again. I, I have an answer in mind, but I want to. <laughs> I think I think you need you know you need a less abstract uh, subject to that verb. I think, and what Google does in the district will depend on what the the subject of that verb is. I think when you look at the service statute, the subject of that verb has to be employees or agents in the district, and there's no evidence of a Google employee is or it agent. Fair to say you provide information to customers. That is one aspect of Google's business, of course. We don't think that's its main or its only its only business, but that is one aspect of what Google does. Conducted, conducted in the Eastern District when you until you left. Google users, yes, Google users receive information through the, through the Google network in the Eastern District of Texas. That is correct. But just because equipment is involved in that transmission does not make a regular and established place of business. And again, I think the transmission line hypothetical, perf hypothetical perfectly illustrates this. We have the amicus brief that's been submitted of 17 companies in the High Tech Inventors Alliance talking about how this has impacted them. If you look at page 12, note 3 in that brief, there are tons of suits in the Eastern District of Texas involving equipment-based theories. Google itself, as a result of the 7 decision, is now fending off venue motions that are relying on fiber optic cable that Google uses in the district or cell towers that Google uses in the district. So this is a very real problem and the need for guidance I think is very Were there are, were any of the other cases server cases in in the in the amicus brief? I guess the um, Judge Lynn's case um, in the northern district was a server case. I think maybe some tiny unpublished Virginia district court case was a server case, but otherwise no server case. Correct. Well, the, the very first case in that footnote in the amicus brief is a case against Netflix, which does rely on the presence of servers in the district. So this is very much a real problem. And Google is certainly not the only company that has servers in the district. Um, the only distinction that my friend ultimately was able to point to between transmission lines and this piece of equipment is that this piece of equipment stores rather than simply as a pass-through for data. But we don't think that, that that distinction can possibly be relevant under the statute. This just goes to the functioning of the equipment, not whether or not it is an established place of business. It's hard to see how the storage of data makes something an establishment. Providing information isn't your principal business. What is? Gathering information? I, I mean, it's obviously an important piece of our business. I'm not up here to represent what Google's main or principal uh, business is. No, I, but I want to know what they do in the Eastern District. I mean, if, the, if your business is gathering information, that's different than providing information, isn't it? Because then you're taking data out of the Eastern District. 
Your Honor, I just I don't think this distinction goes to whether or not a place of business, a regular and established place of business, exists in the district. And if I could get back to this point about storage. I'm sorry. Can I just ask a, a, one very specific question? In, in the McCallion Declaration at A42, he twice says something about Google temporarily caching um, content. Mm -hmm. what, what, what does temporarily what does temporarily mean there? I think it's it not the same as transmission, even transmission with some incidental you know, servers attached to the, the routers. It's something longer than that, right? What, yeah, what, well, what it, it's, it's, so, so I think what that means is the, a YouTube video that gets cached is not going to be the same YouTube video in every day. In other words, different content on the web becomes more or less popular on a changing basis. And what populates the GGC servers depends on what is popular and what users are requesting. So it's temporarily stored to that extent. But so again, it's, it's temporary in the same sense that you know um, a large warehouse of goods would be temporary because goods change. That the so that that word that word is not really doing anything except to suggest this is a little bit like transmission, which yeah, doesn't I, sound I, quite right. I think that's right in a metaphorical sense, Your Honor. But I want to get back to this point about virtual versus real business. So. So an e-retailer sells goods through the internet. If I access the e-retailer's website on my home, I am looking at a computer, it is a physical thing, and it seems a lot like a place of business. It's functioning like a place of business. It's a virtual storefront. But that does not mean that the e-retailer has a place of business in my home because it's just a virtual place of business. And we think the exact same analysis would apply to a server. Metaphorically, in certain ways, it stores data that seems Again, metaphorically, like it is a warehouse, but it's just a virtual warehouse. And we know from Except Craig that it's full of terabytes of actual content. But again, we know from Cray that a virtual space is not enough, right? So any virtual space is going to be instantiated in circuitry, just like in the in the e-retailer example. In my home, that store is going to be instantiated in the circuitry of my computer. So the fact that a virtual place has some physical component or that, manifestation. That, that's not right. The, the, the store of stuff is somewhere else at some server farm. It's only some something that we might call a, an index that tells you what you have available to you. The content is not, otherwise it would take forever to download um, even the, the, uh, you know, the front page. But, but I don't take my friend to be saying that, um, that a computer cannot be a physical place of business for purposes of the venue statute. I'm not sure on what basis on their theory of, of venue you would say that the computer in a user's home is not a physical place. Because after all, it is a physical box that carries out the business of the defendant, which is selling goods through the internet to customers. And it occupies physical space. So yes, you're right. The, the, the goods are somewhere else, but it is still a physical object. And the, the store is instantiated in, a, in, a, in the circuitry of a computer in a physical way in the person's home. But that is just a virtual place of business, and we think that's plainly insufficient under Cray. I, I think uh, let's, are there other, another question? Yeah, I want to finish up on my line of questioning, and that is when you gather information from customers, which is part of your business, you agree, how does that get passed back to Google? Does, it goes through the server? I'm not aware. There's nothing in the record that I'm aware of on that point, Your Honor. All right. Thank you, Mr. Schmidt. Thank you, Mr. Brown. Case is submitted. That concludes our session for this morning.